0: Hi everyone, it's Joe Wigand from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park and home to the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. With their help, we're starting Teddy Talks. The April program is called 26 Days with the 26th President. Each and every day, I'll be reading at length from some of what uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote and spoke during his lifetime. As we go through, uh, I hope that you'll understand why Theodore Roosevelt at the State Fair in Minnesota on Labor Day 1901 told the people there to speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. Teddy Talks are proudly presented by the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation in Medora, North Dakota. To learn more about visiting or supporting our mission to connect people to the Badlands for positive, life-changing experiences, go to Medora.com. Now, enjoy the pod. Good morning and welcome to Teddy Talks for May 11th. 2020. I'm Joe Wiegand and I'm coming to you from Medora, North Dakota. And for those who have been uh, frequent uh, or even infrequent uh, viewers of this program, my apologies if you like to start at 7am Mountain, uh, 9am Eastern, 8am Central, 6am Pacific with a cup of coffee and to do so on a timely basis. We ran into technical difficulties. I'm rather proud of my 55-year-old self because I downloaded and updated and changed this gizmo and that gadget. So thank you for your patience and getting started this morning. I have been looking forward to uh, to today. I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day. Uh, Here we had a wonderful weekend. The sun is shining in Medora. Uh, The Canada geese are out and enjoying the the greened up fields that have come from a couple of days of rain, the sunshine today I'm sure will get things bursting out, the l- trees are coming into leaf, and uh, even some of the early flowers are coming up. There's a saying here in North Dakota, for those of us who love to dig in the dirt, don't put anything uh, out until after Mother's Day. So if that's our green light, we're happy for it. May 11th, uh, we'll have a little review of uh, this day in history. and. And for me, I hope you enjoy these. I've learned something just about every time that I've uh, gone and done some of the research for this day in history. Uh, On May 11th, 1792, Robert Gray commands the first expedition to sail into the Columbia River. If you've been along the Columbia River Gorge, the uh, amazing divide between the states of Washington and Oregon, the pathway, the route, the waterway that uh, Lewis and Clark took Uh, uh, to the Pacific Ocean. It is an amazing wonder. 1812, Prime Minister Spencer Percival is assassinated by John Bellingham in the lobby of the British House of Commons on this date, May 11th, 1812. In no history that I've read of the War of 1812 have I read that the head of the uh, government uh, had been assassinated uh, during that year. So 1846, President James K. Polk asked for a declaration of war against Mexico, starting the Mexican-American War on this day, May 11th, 1846. 1852, the birth in Unionville Center, Ohio, of Charles W. Fairbanks, Theodore Roosevelt's vice president from 1905 until 1909, 26th vice president of the United States, a senator from Indiana, Uh, the, uh, the family, the Fairbanks family, publishers of the uh, Indianapolis Star, and uh, he buried in Indianapolis. Uh, I had the pleasure of visiting his his gravesite uh, there in Indianapolis. He would be the vice presidential vice presidential uh, nominee in nineteen sixteen with Charles Evans Hughes. He himself had sought the presidential nomination in nineteen o eight and nineteen sixteen. eighteen fifty eight On this date, Minnesota admitted as, as the thirty second state of the United States. Minnesota and Theodore Roosevelt born the same year 1858 Minnesota a few few months older uh we enjoy uh the visitors who come to us from Minnesota from the cities as they're called the twin cities of Minneapolis St Paul and from throughout uh, uh the state of Minnesota but especially the lakes country of western Minnesota and we're glad that uh, Oh, when you need a break from your uh, your Lake country, you'll come over to, uh, to the Badlands. 1875, the birth in Arcadia Township, Michigan, of Harriet Quimby, American pilot and screenwriter. She died in 1912. In 1911, I'm sorry, I, I believe the death date might have been 30... No, she died at the age of 31 in 1912. In 1911, she was awarded a U.S. pilot certificate by the Aero Club of America. She became the first woman to gain a pilot's license in the United States. In 1912, she became the first woman to fly across the English Channel. On this date, May 11th, 1888, the birth in Belarus in the Russian Empire of Irving Berlin, the American uh, composer and pianist. He would live a long life, uh, dying in 1989 uh, at the age of 100 or 101 at that point. During his 60-year career, he wrote an estimated 1,500 songs, including the scores for 20 original Broadway shows, 15 original Hollywood films um, amongst his songs. Alexander's Ragtime Band, Easter Parade, Putting on the Ritz, Cheek to Cheek, White Christmas, Happy Holiday, Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better, There's No Business Like Show Business. In his 1943 film, This Is the Army, uh, featuring Ronald Reagan, Kate Smith, sang Berlin's God Bless America. It was written in 1918 during the World War I effort first performed in 1938. On this date in 1894 in Chicago, Illinois, the Pullman Palace Car Company, the workers there, the Pullman workers, went on strike over 4,000, then joined and created a general strike throughout the country. Uh, This is where President Cleveland sent in the uh, National Guard, the United States Army, A number of deaths uh, in the rioting that occurred between uh, police and army forces and the striking workers. This is also uh, because he violated a federal court injunction against the strike. Uh, The uh, uh, first time at length that Eugene Debs was sent to uh, prison uh, awaited his trial in Woodstock, uh, Illinois, or or McHenry County, either Woodstock or McHenry. the, The little jail there held Eugene Debs. 1894, that same date, May 11th, the birth in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, of Martha Graham, the great American dancer and choreographer. She herself would live a long life until 1991, changed and influenced uh, American dance and modern dance for generations. Uh, we have our Burning Hill singers. They are also dancers. Some of those Burning Hill singers, you can tell, have been classically trained, uh, uh, could uh, dance on any stage uh, in the country with their skills. And then some of our Burning Hills singers are really wonderful singers. Uh, They, too, are included in the choreography. And uh, uh, Lexi Wolin Swenson, uh, our wonderful choreographer, former Burning Hills singer and dancer herself. And uh, I do believe that I've been told that uh, uh, at the Burning Hills Amphitheater, where the the dances include everything sometimes from uh, square dancing and clog dancing uh, featured to some wonderful uh, couples uh, doing some things on stage, It is uh, said at the Burning Hills Amphitheater that you can teach a singer to dance. Uh, Maybe a little harder sometimes to teach a dancer to sing, but uh, wonderfully uh, talented people doing both in our Medora musical. 1910, an act of the United States Congress establishes Glacier National Park in Montana. Uh, We find that many of our visitors here at Theodore Roosevelt National Park are on their way to or from Glacier National Park or Yellowstone National Park. Uh, I enjoy, as I travel the country, the Amtrak station that comes along the Great Northern. This is the Empire Builder. It goes through Glacier National Park. You can actually uh, take some time off, uh, take a day or two in Glacier National Park and continue your Amtrak trip. And the Amtrak's not that far from us in Williston, North Dakota. If you'd like to come out by train, well, Get in touch with me via Medora.com or at the uh, Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. We'll make sure that uh, your uh, travels uh, by train and then from uh, Williston to Medora, uh, maybe we can... uh, I'd be happy to give you some help on that. In 1920, uh, the death in Manhattan, New York, William Dean Howells, American novelist, literary critic, and playwright. Uh, He uh, was in Kittery Point, Maine often. That's where the Portsmouth Treaty was negotiated. Uh, he died on this date, May 11th, 1920. Uh, he was uh, uh, nicknamed the Dean of American Letters uh, and particularly known for his tenure as editor of the Atlantic Monthly, a correspondent with Theodore Roosevelt. The Theodore Roosevelt Center at Dickinson State University has digitized some of the correspondence between Theodore Roosevelt and William Dean Howells. And finally, in 1916, uh, 1960, the death of John D. Rockefeller Jr., uh, the American businessman and philanthropist, uh, the son of his uh, father, John D. Rockefeller Sr., the only son amongst the five children of the Standard Oil co-founder, and himself then the father of five famous Rockefeller brothers, uh, including uh, Nelson Rockefeller, the 41st Vice President of the United States, Winthrop Rockefeller, the 37th Governor of Arkansas, and banker David Rockefeller. Well, that's a lot of history this state, isn't it? And, uh, well, a couple of uh, uh, shorter speeches, if I may have. One short speech from uh, Santa Cruz, uh, California, from the Big Tree Grove. Uh, I do believe this was, was the Sequoia State Park, eventually near Santa Cruz. To set the scene, and biographers write about this scene, Theodore Roosevelt comes to address uh, uh, the crowds and notices that uh, the big trees have been littered with uh, sales bills and postcards and and all the sorts of things that people might uh, scratch or tack on to some uh, uh, edifice or some bar- part of nature that Theodore Roosevelt uh, uh, had disdain for that sort of marring of nature. So we'll start with what he actually told to the audience and then uh, famously after he tells them Uh, this, he goes and uh, goes and tours the trees, comes back and makes another speech and there's a great change that occurs. So, uh, this from the Big Tree Grove in Santa Cruz, California, May 11th, 1903. Mr. Mayor, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for your courtesy in receiving me and to say how much I've enjoyed being here. This is the first glimpse I have ever had of the Big Trees And I wish to pay the highest tribute I can to the state of California, to those private citizens and associations of citizens who have cooperated with the state in preserving these wonderful trees for the whole nation and preserving them in whatever part of the state they may be found. All of us ought to want to see nature preserved. Take a big tree whose architect has been the ages. Anything that man does toward it may hurt it and cannot help it. Above all, the rash creature who wishes to leave his name to mar the beauties of nature should be sternly discouraged. Those cards pinned up there on that tree give an air of the ridiculous to the solemn and majestic grove. To pin those cards up there is as much out of place as if you tacked so many tin cans up there. I mean that literally. You should save the people whose names are there from the reprobation of everyone by taking down the cards at the earliest possible moment. And do keep these trees. Keep all the wonderful scenery of this wonderful state unmarred by the vandalism or the folly of man. Remember that we have to contend not merely with knavery, but with folly. And see to it that you, by your actions, create the kind of public opinion which will put a stop to any destruction of or any marring of the wonderful and beautiful gifts that you have received from nature that you ought to hand on as a precious heritage to your children and your children's children. Theodore left. When he came back, uh, all of those cards, notes had been taken down from those beautiful trees. A bit of a stern father figure at that point, Theodore Roosevelt, and, uh, If I may, we've got uh, some at-length remarks from Watsonville, California. And if I may, to give... uh, I'm sorry, I I had said we'd be uh, visiting San Jose, California. Uh, So uh, uh, some good substantive remarks from Theodore Roosevelt on his tour of the western states in 1903 in San Jose. Mayor, and you men and women, my fellow citizens, my fellow Americans. It is a great pleasure to greet you today to speak to the citizens of this beautiful city in this great and fertile valley and county. Ever since our train came into the Santa Clara Valley, it has been as though we were passing through a garden. I do not wonder at the products now that I have seen the place. This is one of the famous agricultural counties of the whole country, and hardly any other county has work quite of your kind been done in the raising of deciduous fruits, notably prunes. Your city is bound to grow because your county is bound to grow, and of course the city will grow where the country tributary to its produces so much. But there was something that pleased me even more than the prunes, and that was the schoolhouses as I passed. Here in this county, you have made many notable educational institutions. I understand that you have the oldest normal school in the state, that Santa Clara is the oldest college. You also have the University of the Pacific, the Lick Observatory and Leland Stanford University. And above all that upon which all the higher education rests, the common school educational system of the state. It is a fine thing and absolutely necessary thing to have a foundation of material well-being upon which to build the higher life. But it is equally indispensable that upon that foundation, the higher life shall be built. I congratulate you that in your care for the body, you have not forgotten to care for the higher, the intellectual, the spiritual side of man. I have been greeted here as I have been greeted throughout California by the men of the great civil war the veterans to whom we owe it, that there is a country for you and me to be proud of today. They, by their lives, by the record of their deeds, teach us in more practical fashion that it can be taught by any preaching, for they teach us by practice, that in the ultimate analysis, the greatness of a nation is to be measured not by the output of its industrial products, not by its material prosperity, not by the products of the farm, factory, business house, but by the products of its citizenship, by the men and women that that nation produces. When Sumter's guns thundered on that April morning in 61, no amount of industrial prosperity unaccompanied by the lift toward higher things could have saved the nation. We had them come to one of those great crises of national affairs when the need was for the elemental virtues of mankind to be displayed. When it was too late to appeal to mechanical ingenuity, mechanical inventiveness, business capacity on the greater or on the lesser scale, when nothing could save us but the manhood of the men and the womanhood of the women, when we had to rely upon the man who went to battle and upon the woman to whom fell the harder task of staying at home with brother or lover, father or husband gone to the front, left without the breadwinner, to work her way as best she could and to endure, in addition, the sickening anxiety for the loved ones who were in the forefront of the battle. We had to depend upon the men who, when the final call was made, were willing to count everything, life itself, as dross in the scale compared with their eager championship of national honor, the unity of the flag, the sacredness of the Republic. The men whose one ambition it was to spend and be spent when Abraham Lincoln called to follow the flag of Grant, of Sherman, of Thomas, of Sheridan and Farragut through the years of alternating victory and defeat until over the hills of disaster they saw the sunset of triumph at Appomattox. The problems that confront us from generation to generation change. The methods of solution for each problem must be sought out carefully in order that the problem may be solved aright But the fundamental qualities needed by the men of today are those that were needed by the men of yesterday. And they will be the same that in their turn the men of tomorrow will need. There is no patent substitute for the fundamental virtues. Nothing can make good citizenship in men who have not gotten them courage, hardihood, decency, sanity, the spirit of truth-telling and truth-seeking, the spirit that dares and endures the spirit that knows what it is to have a lofty ideal and yet to endeavor to realize that ideal in practical fashion. That is why I congratulate you upon the care you are paying to your educational system, to the training of the young. Of course, there are natures which no training can develop, because if the stuff is not there, nothing can be made out of them. But training will make a good citizen a better citizen, Training when applied to raw material will do good to that raw material. I congratulate you, I congratulate all our people upon the realization shown by California of the fact that though the interests of the body are great, the interests of the soul are greater. That though we must take care of the first, we are not to be excused if we fail to show thrift, energy, business intelligence, the power of hard work for material ends, We are not to be excused if we fail to show those qualities, yet that those qualities cannot by themselves suffice, that to them we must add others. The body should be trained, even more should the mind be trained, and most of all should we train character, character into which so many elements enter, but three above all, decency, the spirit of fair dealing, of decent behavior in the family, in the neighborhood, towards the state, and to decency to be added courage, the spirit that dares and endures and does, and to both to be added the saving grace of common sense. I congratulate you upon your thought for the next generation, for California's greatness. The greatness of the union in the future will depend upon the kind of men and women who act as your heirs. If they are not the right kind, they will mar and spoil the heritage you have left and that heritage can be kept as it should and will be kept because the boys and girls of today are being trained to become fit citizens of tomorrow. In closing, I want to thank you and to say how I have enjoyed being here in California. Above all things, I have enjoyed the knowledge that coming across this continent from the Atlantic to the Pacific, from the East to the West, and now West of the West into California, for California stands by itself Wherever I have been addressing any audience, I have been able to make my appeal to the men and women to whom I speak purely as Americans, speaking to them as Americans and as nothing else. You, the men of the great war, fought to put an end once and for all to the evil spirit of sectional hatred. No man is a good American. I could put that stronger the worst enemy of american institutions is the man who seeks to excite one set of americans against their fellow americans and it matters nothing whether the appeal is made in the fancied interest of a class of a creed or of a section the man who makes it is a traitor to our institutions and their spirit we can make this government a success only by proceeding in accordance with its fundamental proposition and treating each man northerner or southerner Easterner or Westerner, whatever his birthplace, whatever his creed, his occupation, his means, as a man and as nothing else. I believe in you. I believe in the future of this state. I believe in the future of this nation because I am sure that ultimately, no matter what may be any temporary swerving, our people will consent to no other base for the management of this government and will insist invariably in the long run that we remain true to those principles of those who with Washington founded the government and those who with Lincoln preserved the government and made this a nation of free men. Each guaranteed his rights, each prevented from wrongdoing anyone else, and each assured of his being treated exactly as his conduct entitled him to be treated. That idea of uh, treating right, and uh, expecting to be treated rightly and to stand up against the wrong. Uh, An appropriate introduction to Murder on the High Seas. I don't know if Theodore Roosevelt chose the column title uh, for his column. uh, His uh, column published on this date, May 11th, 1915, in the Metropolitan Magazine, which by its cover I see you could obtain for five cents. Uh, The editor's note is that... uh, This was written on the 9th of May, two days after the Lusitania was torpedoed without warning by a German submarine. Remember that Theodore Roosevelt at that time is engaged as a defendant in the Barnes v. Roosevelt libel trial in Syracuse, New York, and a little bit of hesitancy on his part with regards to how to respond, the proper manner to respond. And uh, and yet he he, uh, speaks out quite clearly, uh, I think, in part, Uh, still waiting to hear any official response from President Wilson. As we mentioned, it took Wilson uh, three and a half days, so uh, certainly Theodore Roosevelt had written this, and it was probably published uh, before uh, Wilson was able to uh, make his comments. The German submarines have established no effective blockade of the British and French coastlines. They have endeavored to prevent the access of French, British, and neutral ships Uh, uh, to Britain and France by attacks upon them, which defy every principle of international law as laid down in innumerable existing treaties, including the Hague Conventions. Many of these attacks have represented pure piracy, and not a few of them have been accompanied by murder on an extended scale. In the case of the Lusitania, the scale was so vast that the murder became wholesale. A number of American ships had already been torpedoed in similar fashion. In one case, the lives lost included those not only of the American captain, but of his wife and little daughter. When the Lusitania sank some 1,200 non-combatants, men, women, and children were drowned. and More than a hundred of these were Americans. Centuries had passed since any war vessel of a civilized power has shown such ruthless brutality toward non-combatants and especially toward women and children. The pirates of the Barbary Coast behaved at times in similar fashion until the civilized nations joined in suppressing them. And the pirates who were outcasts from among these civilized nations also at one time perpetrated similar deeds until they were sunk or hung. But none of these old time pirates committed murder on so vast a scale as in the case of the Lusitania. The day after the tragedy, the newspapers reported in one column that in Queenstown there lay by the score the bodies of women and children. Some of the dead women still clasping the bodies of the little children they held in their arms when death overwhelmed them. In another column, they reported the glee expressed by the Berlin journals at this great victory of German naval policy. It was a victory over the defenseless and the unoffending and its signs and trophies were the bodies of the murdered women and children. Our treaties with Prussia in 1789, 1799, and 1828 still in force in this regard provide that, quote, if one of the contracting parties should be at war with any other power, the free intercourse and commerce of the subjects or citizens of the party remaining neutral with the belligerent powers shall not be interrupted, unquote. Germany has treated this treaty as she has treated other scraps of paper. But the offense goes far deeper than this. The action of the German submarines in the cases cited can be justified only by a plea which would likewise justify the wholesale poisoning of wells in the path of a hostile army, or the shipping of infected rags into the cities of a hostile country. A plea which would justify the torture of prisoners and the reduction of captured women to the slavery of the concubinage, those who advance such a plea will accept but one counter plea, strength, the strength and courage of the just man armed. When those who guide the military policy of a state hold up to the soldiers of their army, the Huns, and the terror once caused by the Huns for the imitation, they thereby render themselves responsible for any hunnish deed which may follow the destruction of the cities like Louvain and Dinant, the scientific vivisection of Belgium as a warning to other nations, the hideouts, wrongdoing to civilians, men, women, and children in Belgium and northern France in order to thereby to terrorize the civilian population. All these deeds and those like them done on the land have now been paralleled by what has happened on the sea. In the teeth of these things we earn as a nation measureless scorn and contempt, if we follow the lead of those who exalt peace above righteousness, if we heed the voices of those feeble folk who bleak to high heaven that there is peace when there is no peace. For many months our government has preserved between right and wrong a neutrality which would have excited the, emos- the emulous admiration of Pontius Pilate, the archetypical neutral of all time. We have urged as a justification for failing to do our duty in Mexico, that to do so would benefit American dollars. Are we now to change faces and advance the supreme interest of American dollars as a justification for continuance in the refusal to do the duty imposed on us in connection with the World War? Unless we act with immediate decision and vigor, we shall have failed in the duty demanded by humanity at large and demanded even more clearly by the self-respect of the American Republic. Theodore Roosevelt's signature uh, right down below at the end of that article. Uh, We've experienced some technical difficulties today at Teddy Talks. Uh, I'm getting a message right now that we may have even lost video. Uh, Mother said there'd be days like this. There'd be days like this, my mother said. I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. I look forward to a week of Teddy Talks ahead. We've got uh, remarks uh, from the opening of the Conservation Conference, uh, the White House Conference in 1908. Uh, We've got Theodore Roosevelt's Adventures in Yosemite with John Muir this week. Uh, Thank you for your patience with Teddy Talks today. Have a great week. Join us again here in Medora, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, future home of the Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library and Museum, and this summer, home to the Medora musical and the Teddy Roosevelt Show, too. Stay tuned at Medora.com for more details. Goodbye. Good luck.